Hello everyone, this is Troy and welcome to the 8th episode of the Bikini Podcast. Today we'll be focusing on the Olympia, specifically focusing on the lady categories, and also be uh, covering some of the amateur bikini competitors that are competing. I'm not too sure what figure ladies and physique competitors, if there are any representing Australia, so um, that's something that I've tried to do research on, but I haven't found any, so I apologize in advance. But before I get into the Olympia predictions, what I'm going to do is do the reverse and I'm going to do listener question and answers. I'm not going to do too many questions first up because I obviously want to get to the Olympia and it's probably a little bit more fun and exciting to talk about that. So the first question I've got is more of a question of opinion. Bolt-on boobs, are they necessary to advance in the sport? Look, you're going to have some judges that are going to tell you that you need them and you're going to have some judges that tell you that you don't need them. So it really depends on your overall look, your symmetry, your physique. I think that's more important than having implants. If you're competing, for example, in the IFBB, you've got someone like Laura Lee who doesn't have implants and she performs very, very well. You're looking at the runner-up Miss Olympia of 2018 and obviously she's probably most likely going to get in the top five again this year. Now, speaking to some judges, obviously there might be some that recommend it and there'll be others that don't. My personal opinion is that you do not need implants The exception to that rule would be if you have implants already and they're not sitting correctly. So some ladies I've seen um, in a figure division, for example, I'm not going to name names. They've had the implants sitting really, really low on their chest and it just throws off their symmetry because it looks like their chest cavity is really, really large and long. So in that case, for a lady that does have implants that's sitting really low, they should definitely get them fixed. And I know judges and even myself would tell someone, hey, look, you should probably get these fixed and and get them lifted up because it does throw off your symmetry when it's really, really low on the chest. But overall, I do not think, you know, that you need implants to advance in the sport. You can get very, very high without even thinking about it. Because look, think about the amount of improvements that you can make to your physique before you even worry about implants. Think about the amount of ladies on stage, it doesn't matter if they're amateur or the professional, that want to bring up their glutes, they want to bring up their hamstrings, that want more dealt with, they want more upper back, they want to get their waist tighter, they want to get in better condition. There's so many different things that you should be looking at and thinking about before you even concern yourself with getting implants as a lady that is natural because there is so much room to improve your physique before you even worry about that. And look, if you want to get it for cosmetic purposes and that's something that you are looking into, by all means, if it makes you feel comfortable and you feel confident with the idea of having bigger boobs, then sure, go for it. But in my opinion, it's not needed. I think natural personally looks fine from a competing point of view and just a natural lady walking around the street point of view. So the next question that I have is, do you put ab exercises in your bikini girls programs? So the answer is depending on the person. So most of the time I won't, because I want to keep the waist as small as possible. I think, you know, specifically doing weighted exercises is not ideal for bikini or most divisions because you want to keep the waist as small as possible. Now, if you are in bodybuilding, for example, training abs is very important, but again, doing it in the correct way. You don't want to be doing, if you are training abs, you don't want to be doing a lot of heavy crunches, heavy cable crunches, that type of stuff. You know, a lot of thickening of the oblique exercises, you do not want to touch that. You want to avoid doing that because you want to keep your waist as small as possible. Now, as I've said in previous podcasts, I do avoid squats and deadlifts in my programming because it does thicken up the obliques, thicken up the waist. So naturally, I want to keep the waist as small as possible. And if that means that I need to not have the ladies training abs, then obviously that I will. But um, in saying that, I definitely like doing a bit of planking work for core control, and I'm a big fan of stomach vacuums. Should a lady's physique need a little bit more ab density, and I look at it on stage and go, you know what, we could do with some more ab separation, then in that case, I would add it in the program, but it's specific to the person. So you can't always say abs for everyone, because I'm not going to give ab training to someone who's already got a thick waist. And for someone that hasn't got that density, then yeah, I'm going to probably include some light ab work, but mostly just body weight stuff just to tone up that midsection. 
So the next question that I have is thoughts on the wellness division. How hard do you think it will be to tell if you're bikini versus wellness? I think as far as an Australian point of view goes, we're going to look at the state shows and we're going to nationals to figure out, you know, what are they exactly looking for? And don't forget, just because someone gets rewarded at a state show or gets rewarded at nationals does not mean that that is the standard moving forward because the sport's going to progress, the judging's going to get better and better athletes are going to come along. So just like the first time, you know, you've seen figure athletes, for example, 10 years ago when perhaps I think it might have been Aaron Stern was winning the figure Olympia. And look at the evolution now in the last, you know, couple of Mr. Olympias. They're just fucking freaks with crazy, crazy V-taper. The sport enhances and it just grows and better competitors come along with better development, better symmetry, better competition. So with that in mind, that's exactly what's going to happen with the wellness division. But I think it's going to be very, very easy to see what is bikini, what is wellness. Wellness to me is just massive, juicy legs. The conditioning needs to be there, but you've got a lot of quad sides. You've got a lot of glute sides. You've got just thick hamstrings, thick calves. It's the Brazilian look, you know, so to speak. There is a lot of muscle in the legs and you're not necessarily proportionate by the looks of the judging overseas. You are bottom heavy. You don't need to have crazy taper up the top, but obviously it helps to balance out your physique, but perhaps it might be one of those things I just mentioned where the IFB Pro League will eventually reward someone that's got a symmetrical, you know, proportionate upper body to balance off the legs. But right now, nobody's at that level. Nobody has it all. So maybe they're just rewarding that look because that's all that's brought to the stage so far. Once the ladies start building up that upper body, then guess what? A new champion comes out of nowhere and we've got ourselves a wellness Miss Olympia who is symmetrical and proportionate and isn't like, you know, sort of the photos that we've seen online with the bottom heavy ladies uh, that are getting conditioned and getting rewarded. For me, bikini is a lot more streamlined, you know, tight waist, really good pleasing structure and shape and, and beauty and wellness is just a bit more rugged muscle in the glutes. However, still having that, you know, that beauty in the physique and having good proportions, but it's just a jacked up version. I, I think, you know, wellness is almost like a figure competitor that's posing like a bikini girl. That's almost where it's at. It's just nowhere near as hard in terms of conditioning for a figure competitor. It's more like a very, very hard bikini. And anyone that sort of looks at photos, you, you realize that the more size you have, the more density in the muscle, the more that the muscle separates and pops through body fat. So if you've got a bikini girl at 10% body fat versus a wellness girl at 10% body fat carries five kilos more muscle, she's going to appear to have more separation through her muscle because it's deeper. You know, the muscle fibers go deeper, they're more separated because of the size. So that's why you see certain people on stage where they have really good separation when you're talking about bodybuilders and they flex their quads and it just pops more than the guy that's 10 kilos lighter. It's because there's more muscle there. It pops, the density literally goes through, you know, it sort of almost pops through the skin. And that's the same thing when it comes to the ladies' divisions. So the next question that I have is conditioning easier to achieve being short? The answer is no. Definitely not. Short is not an advantage. The only advantage that you have when you're short is probably when it comes in terms of development. You fill out a lot quicker because you haven't got long limbs. If you've got a shorter torso, but obviously being shorter, you also have your disadvantages because someone that's taller than you structurally is wider, even without having the development. So when I say wider, I'm talking about clavicle width. So shoulder to waist ratio is definitely on the you know the side of the taller competitor. And for me, look, obviously I'm a tall guy. I'm probably a little bit biased when it comes to taller people. And I'm just a big, big fan of really small waist and taper. And you don't have to have the smallest waist. You could just have really nice taper. And you can do that by building your upper back, building up your delt, 
and to complement that waist. And as I've said before many times, bodybuilding is all about V-taper, symmetry and proportion. And V-taper is just so underrated, especially in the bikini category. You definitely want to have the smallest waist possible and the widest delts possible. But going back to the question, is conditioning easier to achieve being short? It is definitely not an advantage. It all depends on your metabolism. So obviously where you start your diet and as you diet along, you're taking away calories, you're taking away calories, the amount of cardio that you're doing. And let's be real, the work ethic. Are you cheating on your diet? Are you training your ass off? Are you training harder than the other person that might be competing against you? It doesn't matter if you're short or tall, what type of genetics you got. If you work your ass off, you're going to get in condition. And I don't think that certain people are... This person just naturally skinny. It's because I've got a fast metabolism. They may have built their metabolism in the off season. They might just be a freak of nature and have high calorie expenditure because they sort of do a lot of steps throughout the day. And that's something that they don't track and it's unbeknownst to them. They're just chewing through calories because they're doing 30,000 steps. So everyone is different. And in my experience, it's just about you know, the amount of effort that you put in. So that's all it comes down to. Some people might be blessed with better metabolism, but guess what? That metabolism slows down when you're dieting. You still need to do your cardio. You still need to get after it and do what you need to do in the gym to get in that type of conditioning. So the next question is, what is the average height of the overall bikini winners? Look, I don't really know. And I don't even think it's relevant, you know, because you've got competitors that come out of nowhere that, you know, are short, that are medium, that are tall. And, um, and it all depends on what you look like, not necessarily your height. I think it would be safe to say that majority of competitors are short. There's not a lot of tall competitors versus short or medium. So based on that logic, wouldn't you think that the pool of overall winners would come from the short and medium divisions? I think that would be a logical thing to say, but that doesn't necessarily mean that a shorter lady or you know medium lady is better than the tall lady because that's not the case at all. In my experience, I believe that taller ladies have an advantage because structurally they're a lot wider. So their V-tape is going to be a bit more extreme when you're comparing to a short lady. You look at someone like, you know, the IFB Pro League bikini, someone like Narman, you know, you look at Narman versus someone like Janet Leigh, the shoulder to waist ratio is massively in favor of Janet Leigh because of her, you know, her height and her structure. Narman will never be able to beat someone like Janet Leigh because she doesn't have the width. And obviously, bikini isn't technically a true bodybuilding show. V-taper and having a nice silhouette is still very important. And just to add to that a little bit more, my two cents is that taller ladies will always have an advantage because structurally, they're wider. So if you've got someone that's structurally very wide as a short competitor versus someone that's structurally wide as a taller competitor, the taller competitor is always going to have the more extreme V-taper because of their size and stature. The short competitor is obviously going to look more thick and dense because of their shorter limbs, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, particularly if you're thicker and denser in the trunk. Bikini, just like bodybuilding, is about V-taper. It's about having a nice silhouette. It's about having a really nice hourglass figure. And the reality is, if you're a short, medium, tall competitor, you can still build your physique. You can still create nice V-taper. You can still have really nice proportions. At the end of the day, put the work in, make it happen. So the next question is, are results any greater using organic produce slash items? You know what? I cannot say from my experience that it does because that's something that I've looked into. That's something that I've done before. But in saying that, I know that there are certain people out there that swear by it. So what I would recommend for anyone that's listening is if that you want to, you know, shop for organic, definitely try it out and see how it goes. You have people that obviously, you know, go on a vegan diet because actually feel like they're, you know, they're healthier. It's more beneficial. They've got more energy. But, um, you know, there's other people that go on a vegan diet and they feel very lethargic and tired. 
Now, how can a vegan diet be beneficial to one person and not beneficial to another? It all depends on their nutrient requirements, what absorption of vitamins and minerals. I mean, you know, vegans obviously, you know, vitamin B12 and iron is something that possibly most vegans struggle with. Is this a factor that's sort of contributing to whether or not someone like myself would feel great on a vegan diet, perhaps if I'm deficient? Now, same thing for organic foods. Some people say yes, some people say no. Try it out for yourself. And if you think it's beneficial, stick with it because obviously you want that edge and mentally you're going to feel a lot better. So the next question that I've got is how to level up and become a weapon. What a ripper of a question. So look, the first step is how to become a weapon. All right. So what would I do is if we're talking about from a competition point of view, from a bikini competitor point of view, because this came from a bikini lady, the first thing that you need to do is look at yourself in the mirror, analyze your physique, look at photos and go, all right, this is this is my weak points. I'm hitting the front shot. I'm hitting the rear shot. What do I need to bring up? And then compare your photo to someone that's at a high level, someone like Angelica Taksara, uh, Laura Lee, and then go, all right, this is what I need to do in order to get there. Every fucking day you look at those photos. Every day that you say to yourself some affirmations that you're going to get after it. Set yourself a goal and stop making fucking excuses like every other ass clown and get your ass to the gym. Prepare your fucking meals. Each day that you go to the gym, I want to log your workout. When I say log your workout, you rate it out of 10. Anything that is not a 10, you need to go back in the fucking gym and make sure that you get after it next time. In my opinion, you should be training at a 10 or at least have the goal to train at a 10 every fucking time you go into the gym. And that might mean that you need to get off your phone. You need to put your phone on airplane mode. You need to put headphones on in the gym. When people come and try to talk to you, say, go fuck yourself. Because guess what? Those same people that talk to you every day in the gym look the fucking same. They don't have the mental focus. I'm sorry, you cannot go in fucking complete 10 out of 10 focus like you want to fucking rip someone's heart out and then be talking to someone in between the set. You lose momentum. Have any of you motherfuckers seen Dorian Yates train? He was a fucking maniac. Do you think Dorian Yates became Dorian Yates by just talking shit in the gym and and being a snowflake fuck and pretending to like everybody? He was there to crush his fucking goal. Anyone that was there was irrelevant. And that's what you motherfuckers need to start doing. When you go to the gym, it doesn't matter who the fuck's around you. You need to be complete tunnel vision. Do you think... Usain Bolt on athletics track when he's training is fucking chatting to people in between his sprints. Fuck no. When Michael Phelps was on top of his game, do you think he would, in between his laps, be talking to his fellow teammates and competitors? I can guarantee you he'd want to rip their fucking hearts out. And that's the problem with you snowflake fucks. You care what everyone else thinks of you. You need to like talk to people in your gym because you want to be social. If you want to be a fucking killer and if you want to be a fucking weapon, you need to make sure that everything that you do has a fucking purpose. There is absolutely no purpose in fucking around talking to clowns at the gym. And that's what they are. They're fucking clowns. People with no fucking self-esteem that want to socialize and fuck around because they've got nothing better to do. The gym is full of shit kickers and people that are a waste of fucking time. So do not waste your time talking to these people. Do not waste your time engaging with these people. Focus your own fucking goals and make sure that you get your workout to attend every time. And then guess what? If you don't, you check yourself the next day and you make a log of it and go, you know what? I'm going to get after it today because I fucked up yesterday and I refuse to let that happen again. I refuse to let my fucking competitors outwork me. I want to train like a fucking beast. I want to train like a boss. Nobody will outwork me. And then you start building momentum. You get addicted. Once you have a 10, you have another 10, you have another 10. You become ferocious in it. If you need to put your headphones on and listen to some fucked up music to get you in the zone, go to your dark place. 
Do you think Dorian Yates didn't have a fucking dark place in his head when he was fucking crushing himself in the gym? He went after it like no motherfucker has gone after it before him. And the reason why he was six-time Miss Olympia with pretty much average-ish genetics was because he worked his fucking ass off. He had the eye of the tiger. Nobody has the fucking eye of the tiger these days. And that's why people look like shit when they go to the stage. And, oh, yeah, this person looks good to and They look fucking shit. And the people that do look half respectable are people that can still take it up another level. You can always, always, always take your training up to another level. You can take your mind to another level. It's just about what do you want to do? You know, that's why it goes back to goal setting. What is the goal? Why is it important? And how long until you want to achieve it? And those things are going to put pressure on you. When you're having a shit day, you're on a leg press and you're going to do a fucking 50 rep set just because your coach said it, hey, let's have a fucked up workout today. You need to switch the fuck on and get angry and fucking want it and think about your goal. If you're having a day and you're like, I cannot be fucked doing 50 rep leg press sets, that's when you need to switch on and think about your goals. That's when you need to think about the timeline because that's going to put pressure on you because you've got something to sacrifice for. You've got something to train for. You've got something to push you. And then you remind yourself that you want you, you need to train like a fucking 10. You do not want to let yourself down. There's nothing more dissatisfying with anything in life than letting yourself down. Fuck what other people think about you. Think about what you want you to think of yourself. You don't want to be a clapping motherfucker looking at other people thinking, oh my God, Rachel Dillon's the best and I could never look like that. That's because you have the wrong fucking attitude. You need to change your fucking attitude. You need to set your goals high. You need to get hungry in the gym. You need to turn on that dark side when the reps get fucking painful when the reps get deep and you just want to give up you're going to say fuck it i'm going to keep going and then guess what once you fucking do that 50 rep set you're going to get addicted to the fucking pain you're going to get addicted to the feeling because you know that nobody is a bad motherfucker like you and guess what if you're a bad motherfucker you're going to take motherfuckers souls when you go on stage because everyone's going to know who the fuck you are when you walk out like a fucking beast because you've been preparing for this day. You've been thinking about it every day, every training session that you push through. 10 out of 10, going all in. People feel that fucking energy on stage. That confidence cannot be faked. It is a scary thing to see when you know someone's walking on stage and they're a fucking killer. And guess what? It's game fucking over for you because you've been a snowflake fuck talking to chimpanzees in the gym. Always, always, always want more of yourself. Demand more of yourself. Train sometimes like your life depends on it. Don't be afraid to push past your comfort zone. And then once you push past your comfort zone, you fucking push past it again and again and again. You motherfuckers need to see Tom Platt's train. If anyone actually sends me a DM later, I'll be happy to send you some Tom Platt's instructional videos on what the fuck intensity means and what it looks like to actually put it on the line and train like your life fucking depends on it. Because that's what Platts did. That's what Doran Yates did. And that's why they built the physiques that they needed to build. You bikini competitors, you figure competitors, you physique competitors, you bodybuilders out there need to step up your game so you can be fucking proud of yourself. Because there is nothing worse than letting yourself down. There is nothing worse than having regret. And it's always the weak snowflake fucks who put their half ass in the gym and do a little bit cardio. And I just started training glutes. I don't like to do these exercises. You quit early because you're weak fucking vagina. Every day you need to commit to your goal. You need to get after it. You need to be hungry for it. Do not stop fucking thinking about it. Set your goal, set some affirmations, repeat, 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 go to the dark side in the gym and think about the fucking end result. Visualize it. Once you start visualizing it, you'll start believing it. You'll start working for it. 
and then you'd be proud of yourself. And that's how you become a motherfucking weapon. So the next question is, do you think implants give a higher placing if all else is equal, especially in recent shows? Look, very rarely is, you know, everything equal. I think judges probably use it to justify bullshit because they're just full of shit and they cannot identify certain things between competitors. Because, I mean, how often do you see physiques being almost identical and their posing and presentation being almost identical? It pretty much doesn't happen. You know, you might have a female that's just a little bit better looking when it comes to bikini. And guess what? The better looking lady will get rewarded if that's the case. But in terms of implants, you know, how your physique flows is very important. And if you're in proportion, if your implants obviously, you know, are in proportion with your glutes, because sometimes you see implants that are actually out of proportion and it throws your symmetry off. So that's another thing to consider. I would prefer to see someone with natural breasts on stage than having the biggest implants imaginable throwing off their glute to tit ratio because they look fucking whack. And there are a number of competitors that obviously I'm not going to name because it's sort of bullying and you're in our country. But these competitors know who they are and they need to fucking reduce their boob size because it's way, way too much. And, um, you know, I think I answered this question somewhat before, but I don't see a big issue if you're a natural competitor competing, you know, in the WBFF, competing in the IFB, competing in WFF, whatever organization competing, even in ICN. But look, some judges are a little bit cheeky with it. And look, I've said it before, I don't agree with them. But in the case where that would be rewarded, I mean, look, you'll have to speak to the judging panel, but some judges are really cool and they'll actually tell you straight up where, whether or not, you know, something was an issue and you've got a reason why certain people were rewarded over others. And for me, if there was ever a situation like this, I would love, 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 love to see it. If, um, if any of you ladies out there have been told that you didn't win or competitor didn't win because of implants, please send me a DM, send me the photos. I'd love to review it. So the next question is off-season time frame for an individual to make improvement for in muscularity. Now, this is quite different for many people because there are too many variables, so many variables to consider, one of which is training intensity, one of which is consistency in the gym, one of which is your nutrition. Are you eating in a surplus? Are you eating enough food? Are you sleeping well at night? Some people grow a lot quicker than others because they're putting in the work. They're eating, they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's. Other competitors will pretend that they're not growing and they're just complaining because, oh my God, this person's on steroids. Most of the people that say that and think that aren't fucking training hard enough. And the people that are training hard, you're probably not executing the repetitions correctly. Your form fucking sucks. There's a difference between throwing around weights and training hard and looking like you're training hard because it's very easy to do that. Training from A to B, being explosive and being versus being methodical in the movement and squeezing through your lats when you're doing a reverse grip pull down, squeezing through your quads when you're doing a leg extension, holding it and really milking it on the top and controlling the negative. So many, so many variables. So I would always look at an off season and think, all right, let's look at the individual. What does she look like now? And what improvements does she need to make to be competitive on a stage? So it all depends you know, on muscularity, the amount of muscularity you need. Are you a bikini girl? Are you a figure girl? Are you a physique girl? what body parts you need to bring up and you know how much muscle do you think you would need on your frame to be competitive in that particular category that you'd like to compete in. So this question is very hard to answer. Let's say, for example, you just won a novice category in a bikini class. 
you know, more often than not, I'd probably recommend a 12-month off-season before even considering competing in the Open because, you know, there's no point really just competing for the sake of it. You want to put yourself in a position that you can potentially win or at least, you know, get a top three placing. For the people out there that cross their T's and dot their I's, I think a 12-month off-season is quite reasonable and it's a long, long time. I mean, if you're not making improvements in a 12-month period, there's something fucking wrong with you. You need to fire your fucking coach. You need to train harder. You need to do all the above. But look, to be honest, I've got people that I work with that probably aren't the hardest workers and, you know, they might have an off-season for six months and they still get decent results. So 12 months is a very, very long time for a bikini competitor, for physique, for any type of category. And I think it's definitely enough time to make improvements. But the main thing that you need to do is stay consistent. You can't always train hard. You can't always be all in, but you need to want to be and you need to be committed to your goal. So the next question that I have is, does directly training abs have the same effect as squatting in terms of waist circumference? So for anyone that hasn't seen my recent or heard my recent podcast, I'm a big, big fan or not a fan really of squatting and deadlifting for the purposes of thickening the obliques and thickening the waistline. Now, if you're going to train your abdominals directly, of course, there's going to be some issues with you know abdominal growth. It just depends on you know the level of muscularity that you'd like to achieve in your core. If you are lacking a lot of abdominal depth, you know your type of physique could probably benefit from some core training. For the ladies or competitors out there that don't have the smallest midsection and probably have a wider midsection or a thicker trunk, obviously training abs is probably not the best thing for you. But to answer the question, any type of weight resistance exercise or stress on a certain muscle group is going to grow that body part. It doesn't matter if it's body weight. It doesn't matter if it's weighted. So there's a fine line between you know creating enough separation in the abdominal section and thickening up to the extent where it widens your waistline. The widening of the waistline generally comes from thickening of the oblique. So you know if you're going to train abs, be smart about it and avoid too many exercises, particularly weighted exercises that target the obliques. And focus more on prone holds, planks, do some stomach vacuums. I mean, if you're a bikini athlete, you don't need crazy ab separation. So just be very, very smart with your abdominal selection. And to answer the question properly, yes, all abdominal exercises will obviously cause growth of the midsection. And growth means muscle development. Now, the the way that you implement abdominal training in your exercise program will completely influence the way that your core is going to look. If you're stupid enough to do really heavy oblique exercises. I mean, you deserve a fucking wide midsection. You should be a CrossFit motherfucker. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a thick core if you're a powerlifter, if you're a strong man or a strong woman. But if your whole purpose is to bodybuild and keep your waist as small as possible, don't be stupid enough to fucking thicken up your core and your midsection because it's not an ideal look. And for the ladies and competitors out there that do have a wide structure or even a thicker midsection, Please do yourself a favor and avoid training abdominals directly, specifically with weighted exercises. If you would like to keep your abs nice and tight, planks is all you need. So quickly, I just want to get into the amateur bikini Olympia competitors and what I believe, you know, these girls are capable of. Apologies in advance if I leave everyone out because I'm not too sure everyone that's competing. I'm not spending a lot of my time on Instagram these days, scrolling feeds and and knowing the competitors, uh, you know, every move, so to speak. So the three ladies that really interest me, you've got Maria, you've got Steph Carr, and you've got Emberaldo. I think based on, you know, the physique updates, let's start with Emberaldo. Emberaldo come off the Bendigo Country Classic win, coming in very, very good conditioning. I think, um, you know, she's very, very capable of a top five, top three finish at the Bikini Miss Olympia contest. What I'd like to see from her um, is definitely come in fuller and maintain that conditioning. I thought she was a little bit flat at the Bendigo Country Classic. And I think regardless of even if she's not full, I think her physique is, 
you know, her shape, her proportions are nice enough to carry her for definitely for a top five finish, depending who rocks up, of course, but I definitely think top three is on the cards if she nails her conditioning and comes in as full as possible. Now, I'm not too sure if any of these girls are in classes together. I hope that they're not. I'm assuming that Maria isn't because she's a taller lady, but I think perhaps Emberaldo and Steph Carr might be in the same categories. But for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to assume that they're not, just to make it easier for myself. Looking at Steph Carr, um, we haven't seen her on the stage, I believe, since the Olympia last year, where she placed second. And I'm certainly anticipating, you know, with 12 months off season, I think she would have have to have enough improvements to definitely repeat that performance, or at least I think she's definitely capable of winning the show. But because we haven't seen her on a stage, obviously she didn't do the Bendigo Country Classic. It would have been awesome to see her compete in Australia. But it's going to be very, very hard to see to see how she pairs up with the likes of the other competitors. Um, again, my only concern is a little bit flat, but once you carb up, that flat muscle just goes boom and it explodes. And I think, you know, just her structure, her, just a very beautiful shape. She's a good looking girl when she's on stage and got her stage makeup on and um, she definitely poses very well. So I'm excited to see her on the stage. And I definitely think at the very least she should be capable of a top three performance, but I definitely would love to see her winning. And um, definitely one of my favorite bikini competitors in Australia, Maria, um, coming off two second place finishes at the, so you got the mid-year pro qualifier and the Bendigo Country Classic placing uh, second to Emberaldo at that show was very, very close. Both of them were in very good condition. And I'm certainly anticipating that Maria is going to be in very good condition for the Amateur Olympia, whether she comes in a little bit softer or comes in a bit fuller. I probably would definitely recommend for her conditioning to be roughly around the same, just coming a little bit fuller than the Benigo, more of a mid-year pro-qualifier fullness. And I think she'll do re- really well. And again, I anticipate at the very, very least for Maria, a top three finish. And I think she's more than capable of potentially winning a class, depending on who rocks up because she has the muscle size, she has the conditioning. And I think out of the three Australian girls, she's probably the most complete in terms of development. And um, I think her conditioning is impeccable. So I'm definitely wishing all three ladies the very best in representing Australia and hope we kick some ass and bring home some really cool medals and or trophies. And actually, I just remembered uh, we've got a master's competitor. I believe Kim Lawless is is competing as well. So I think she's had a lot of success um, as an international competitor competing, representing Australia. So I definitely anticipate for her, you know, I definitely like her structure, her, her size probably needs to be a little bit bigger in the right areas, but her structure is very, very nice with a small waist and she poses very well as a master's competitor. I definitely see her in the top five, um, you know, whether or not she places in the top three would, I think that would be a really good result for her. But again, wishing her the best with those other three ladies. And I apologize if I missed out on any Australian ladies that are competing. I'm just sort of not too uh, confident or I don't know who else is competing, but I wish you all the best. Now, straight up, moving on to the Olympia Olympia. I think the physique Olympia is going to be absolutely hilarious to watch. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that it's going to be a landslide victory with Shanique Grant absolutely destroying everyone. For anyone that's listening, even if you're a bikini competitor, you're a figure competitor, you need to check out at the Real Fitness Beauty on Instagram. She's one of the best physiques I've ever, ever seen, male or female. It doesn't matter. I probably think she's got the best physique I've ever seen. She is going to be like the Ronnie Coleman of the, uh, the sorry, the women's physique division, and she's going to destroy the fuck out of everyone. Her physique, her symmetry, her structure, her size, her presentation, she poses so beautifully. It's I don't even know who else is competing in the physique category because I don't even need to know. She's that dominant, and it's going to be a landslide victory. I'm not even going to worry about placing second and third. With all due respect to the other competitors, I actually really just love 
absolutely love Shanique Grant and I don't even care who else is competing because she is the show for those ladies. Going into the figure category, unfortunately, it's going to be very much the same thing with returning two-time Miss Olympia, aka vitamin underscore C on Instagram. Sydney Gillen is going to wipe the floor with everyone. You know, I just think she keeps improving her extreme V taper, a very, very small waist. Her lats are unbelievable. She's got the best back of the figure division and I just don't see her, her losing this show. She is going to dominate the figure category and be crowned three-time Miss Olympia. Now, for me, the, probably the most exciting you know, bikini lineup of recent times, I definitely think that the show is certainly up for grabs. I at least anticipated it was during you know this off-season or during the earlier this year. I thought that you know Angelica is probably her time might have been up. But looking at recent photos on Instagram, Angelica looks her best ever. Her delt thickness her quad thickness, just her overall proportion and size and the conditioning that she looks like she's in. I definitely don't see her losing this show. And look, I'm a big fan of Laura Lee, but I just think Angelica is probably going to be crowned, you know, the three-time Miss Bikini Olympia. And unfortunately for the rest of the competitors, I really don't see anyone challenging her. And I expect Angelica to be crowned the three-time Miss Bikini Olympia champion. But I think the real question and the most exciting question is, is who is going to play second out of all the bikini competitors? At the start of this year, I would have 100% locked in Laura Lee for a top two finish, potentially challenging Angelica and actually said to Laura Lee herself that she was probably going to win this year. And I actually believed it. Having seen her progress photos on Instagram and obviously her coach checking in, I definitely think she looks a lot softer than she did this time last year. And I'm not too sure if this look is definitely going to get rewarded. I, I would like to see her a bit harder. I thought the reason why she lost last year was that her tan let her look a little bit down. I thought her conditioning could have been improved in the right areas to challenge Angelica. And the problem is that Angelica is so damn complete. Angelica has dense muscle in every single body group or body part. When you compare her to Laura Lee, Laura Lee is a little bit wider in terms of clavicle length, but I just think that Laura Lee misses, you know, the upper back thickness that Angelica has and probably the delt thickness despite being wider in structure. And going by the Instagram photos, it looks like Laura Lee is lacking the condition that she had last year. I think her coach has probably decided to bring her in a little bit fuller because she was definitely super, super, super flat at the Arnold's and she fell, you know, I think it was sixth or fifth place at the Arnold. Probably didn't want to, you know, replicate that same sort of conditioning and come in super flat, but it was just a matter of feeding her up. But I think the opposite has happened and she's overcompensated or the coach is overcompensated and she looks very, very full, but a little bit softer than where I would like to see her right now. And in saying that, Laura Lee is probably my favorite bikini competitor and I definitely wish, I hope that I'm wrong, but the photos on Instagram, unless they're old photos, I'm very, very concerned and I don't see her possibly at least challenging the title. I hope she can at least come in second and repeat and be runner-up for this year. But at the end of the day, she's not going for a runner-up. She wants to win the title, but I definitely don't see her winning. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but I definitely doubt it. The next competitor that I want to talk about, and I'm actually going to put her ahead of Laura Lee. So I'm going to have Laura Lee in third, and in second place, I'm going to have Issa Pacini. Now, the reason why I'm putting uh, Issa in front of Laura Lee, I just think that structurally, she's got a crazy, crazy small waist. Her delt ratio is insane, her shoulder to waist ratio, and you know she gets in unbelievable conditioning. So I think she's had enough time to make significant improvements since last year's Olympia. I'm not too sure if Laura Lee's made enough improvements 
from last year's Olympia, considering, you know, I just spoke about her conditioning. In terms of size, I think she might be a tad bigger, but I think Issa has definitely packed on the size that she needed, you know, after her third place finish last year. And I definitely see her moving up the ranks and possibly, you know, she might even be a contender, you know, pushing Angelica, but I just don't see her having the size and the thickness to do that. But I definitely see her in the second spot with Lee in a close third. In the fourth place uh, position, it's a, definitely an interesting one. I'm going to go with Maureen. I just think that structurally, she probably is quite similar to someone like Issa. And if you award Issa in second or third, I think it's very hard to just sort of let Maureen slip any further than fourth for this competition. Now, keep in mind that these predictions are based on what I anticipate that these ladies will look like on stage. Now, what I think they'll look like and what they will look like is definitely going to be completely different. So, I mean, I'm going to do Olympia wrap up and give my thoughts on the judging and their placings, whether it was sort of just deserved or, you know, was my anticipation in conditioning and my belief in certain competitors, was it sort of off or was I right on the money? Now, I think Maureen has a very, very unique look and I think it's going to carry her to that top four placing as I mentioned. Her structure is amazing. She's got a very unique look. She definitely looks appealing on stage. Your eye draws to her. Her glute shape from the rear is absolutely spastic and wacky. So if she can come in full enough, I think the only thing that's going to let her down is that she may not have the size and the density as someone like Angelica and Issa. And I believe Issa is a teammate of hers. That will be her only shortcoming because her structure and her shape is amazing. I think a little bit more in the delts, a little bit more in the upper back thickness to balance off her legs and to really enhance her V-taper. I think that she's a potential Miss Olympia in the very near future. And I think a lot of these girls are. Issa is, Laura Lee is, but I just think that Angelica is at the top of the mountain. She's got the eye of the tiger. She's got the thickness, the density, and the quality, and the posing, the posing presence, the aura on stage, the ability to say, hey, judges, I'm motherfucking here. I'm ready to crush you motherfuckers. That cannot be beat, but I definitely think Maureen is moving up and she's going to hit that fourth position. Rounding out the top five, I think it is extremely difficult to make this decision, but I, I hope, I hope because I'm a big fan of Ashley Kay. I just don't know if her coach is going to nail it because she's been hit and miss all season long, coming in flat, coming in flat tar, coming in sort of undercarbed. And, you know, whether or not she sort of comes in full or not is going to be depending if she lands in the top five. I love her structure. I love her shape. But I think when she comes in flat, it just doesn't do anything for her physique and it definitely lets her down. And we've seen it time and time again, Ashley K came in, comes in flat and she certainly was a lot flatter at the Arnold. I don't see Janet Laug placing in the top five after my predictions because I look at these other ladies and I just think that they're a lot more complete. And when you've got the completeness of, you know, the top five that I just mentioned, it's very hard for Janet to, to sneak in. I think Janet's got an amazing front shot. And I know probably in previous podcast, I did mention that Janet may get in the top five. I just think if it's judged correctly, whether it's judged correctly or not, and they reward Janet in the top three, the top five is another thing completely. But if anyone looks at the bikini rear shot, I think Janet has too many flaws. Her hamstrings have no depth. Her glutes aren't hard enough. She hasn't got a lot of upper back width. Her calves are very, very shallow. And I think the other girls that I mentioned in the top five all have more complete development than her. Not just in the calf, but the hamstrings, the glutes. Definitely from the rear. All those, Each of those five ladies I just mentioned have better development than Janet Laug in the rear shot. However, being Janet Laug, she looks very, very impressive in the front shot. And I think she's probably got a top three front shot out of the top five lineup that I just mentioned. But as a bikini competitor, as an elite bikini competitor, you need to be complete from all angles. And that's why I think Angelica's going to take it because she definitely doesn't have not one weak point. 
So as I mentioned, the next episode of the podcast will be an Olympia wrap-up. So I'm going to wrap up the amateur bikini competitors. I'm going to wrap up the the professional bikini figure and physique competitors. If I have enough time on the next podcast, I'll try to hit up some Q&As as well. But obviously, it's not as important as the Olympia and the Olympia wrap-up. The fun things I'm going to talk about is I'm going to go into detail about you know people in contest prep and peak week, what I thought in terms of flatness and fullness of competitors, their conditioning, their size, their symmetry, the density of muscle, the, how they flow, how they pose and present it on stage. I'm going to really try to break down competitor to competitor for all you ladies out there to sort of have a better understanding of what they're looking for on the pro bikini Olympia stage. And obviously that's going to help you amateur competitors, you know, sort of look at nationals or even the state shows coming up or even next year, if you're competing at the Arnold's and think, all right, what do I need to do? How do I need to look at myself to sort of better myself and to improve and take my physique to the next level? Because even these pros are looking to improve, to take their physique to the next level. And obviously including Angelica, there is still room for improvement. So I think that'll do it. Another episode done. If you have any questions about this podcast, please feel free to DM me on Instagram. For those who don't follow me already, you can follow me at Troy J. Thornton. If you like this podcast, it'll be greatly appreciated if you could share it. And for the people out there that have any topics or questions that you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes, please feel free to DM me. Until next time, this is Troy. Thank you for listening. Peace.